Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be speaking out of the book of Acts. We've reached the halfway point in our study of Acts today, and we're moving at a pretty good pace. It's important that we keep moving. We always want to keep the pace that the Holy Spirit wants us to keep. Right? We want to be in tune with the Spirit as we study the Word. We want to be careful we don't move too fast through the Word and miss the things that the Spirit has for us and that we don't go too slow and get stuck and belabor a particular point. But it's this verse-by-verse expository teaching that is, you know, in many ways it's exciting that we don't consider it all that unique to Calvary Chapel anymore. Though we see it at one point having been the distinctive of Calvary Chapel. There are many churches out there today. I remember meeting with a pastor several years ago, and he was just floored by this idea of verse-by-verse teaching. And he said, how do you do it? And I said, you just teach the Bible verse-by-verse. Well, you know, what's your approach? What do you do? And he said, you study the Bible and teach it verse-by-verse. And he's like, wow. And he's like, I think that might be easier maybe than all these topical studies. And I said, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as a pastor, when I would fill in every now and then, it was always hard. He hated just filling in one Sunday because it was like, well, how do I just squeeze this piece into one Sunday? And so, you know, it's here that we seek to teach the whole counsel of God, to exalt the Word of God. The Word of God, He exalts above His own name and to be ministered to by it. Right? And so as we go through Acts chapter 14 today, you know, this is an answer to prayer for me in some respects. It's not as if the Word just sort of screams this out this morning, but throughout this week, I had a sense in my own heart, and I had some conversation with some of you, just the importance of us as a body of believers continually connecting to what is the vision and the purpose of our church? What is it that we are here to do? And of course, we don't think that our vision or purpose is unique in any way. It's the foundation of our faith. It's what God would call us to do, but it's important to consider what does it mean to make disciples of Christ? As we consider that, what should we be about on a regular basis? What is it that we're doing here at Calvary and making sure that each and every person who's here is connected to that? And as I thought about that this week and thought, Lord, what is it that I should share that would help people to feel connected to that and to that idea of our vision as a church? Well, of course, he answered in the way that only the Lord can, and it's, it's in my word. Teach the word. And sure enough, in Acts 14, we'll have here today, we'll continue to learn about Paul and Barnabas as they're out on their first missionary journey, and we'll see the heart of these two individuals to truly make disciples of Christ, to be committed to something no matter the cost, to be committed to ensuring that people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it's planted within their hearts, and not even that they just preach the word and let it go, but that they walk alongside people, that they seek to spend time with them, to raise them up in the word. We'll see them establish order within the church to set leaders over the church. And we have an opportunity to do that today. Here at the end of the message, we'll install a new elder here at Calvary Chapel. And so it's an exciting day for us as we seek to the best of our ability to be a church that would bring glory to God, to be a church that models what we have in the Word of God. And the book of Acts, as difficult as it may be, to be an an Acts church to the extent that we can, knowing that there's a lot of things going around us in our culture today that have to do with church religion and the church, if you will, has influenced and affected much in our world today, but sadly so much of it is contrary to the Word of God even. Some of it's not bad necessarily, but it's not biblical per se. It's man's design. And we're, you know, we're, we're flooded with, with different books that tell us how we should do church. 
and how we should worship and how we should pray and how we should study. And there's countless self-help books and and books about how to accomplish goals and, and all these different things when in reality, there's nothing new under the sun. And that's what we're reminded of here this morning is Paul takes the word to new area after new area and simply preaches Jesus Christ and sees people saved, becoming disciples of Christ. You'll hear me repeat a few things this morning that I've touched on for the last 10 months or so that remind us of what God is doing and what God desires to do as we look to turn the church inside out, to be radical in our pursuit of Him, to make a difference in our world, no matter how big or how small that world may be. And so I pray this morning that you're encouraged as we get a refresher here, the midway point of Acts, to be reminded again of what it is that we're all about, of what it is that we're doing, that we're called to here within the Word of God. And so as we turn our attention to chapter 14, if you would, just agree with me in prayer here this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we give you thanks for this day that you have blessed us with, Lord. We recognize what a beautiful day it is, Lord. And yes, we see the sunshine, Lord, and the beautiful weather, and yet, Lord, that's not what it's about. And we know that there's some in the world who were in fear going into yesterday because someone proclaimed that it would be the end of the world. And, and then they backpedaled and said that just terrible things would happen and it would change the world. And, and backpedaled again, Lord, and, and it shows us that we don't know. We don't know and we can't predict and we can't make claims that won't be proven false, recognizing, Lord, that your word tells us we don't know. And so it's a beautiful day because you've given us life here this morning. You've given us breath. We've risen here this morning, Lord, and come to church because you put it on our hearts, Lord, to be here, to make the choice to be here. And so, Lord, here we are, a body of believers, Lord, seeking. And I pray it would be our hearts here this morning that we would long for you, that we would look to you, that we would look for you to do just a mighty work that only you can do, that you would work in our lives here today, that you would teach us, that you would show us, Lord, through your word what you desire for us. That we could, in fact, Lord, to the best of our God-given abilities, Lord, seek to be a body of believers, a church that exalts our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that glorifies our Father in heaven, that models, Lord, again, to the best that we're able, the church that we see here in early church history, Lord. For we know that this is an incredible model, one where, Lord, your spirit was active, where you were moving. You were guiding and directing. We'll see that within Paul here today, how spirit-led he was, Lord. And I pray that for myself and for everyone here, Lord, that that would be a description of us, Lord, a body of believers, Lord, spirit-led, guided and directed by you, Lord, we pray. So, Father, bless our time here this morning. Every aspect of ministry in this place, Lord, may Jesus be exalted and minds and hearts, Lord, be changed, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in chapter 14, verse 1, we read, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And so here we have Paul and Barnabas, they're in Iconium, which is still in the area of Galatia. So I mention that because as we read the letter to the Galatians, it gives us some insight of what was happening during this time. And so they're still in that region and that area of believers. And if you recall from last week, they had just been expelled from Antioch, Pisidia. And what had they done but shaken the dust from their feet and moved on with joy? 
They had reached a point in that particular town where they preached the gospel and people got saved, but it came to a point where their lives were threatened and they were cast out of the area. It didn't bother them. They shook off the dust from their feet and they moved on. So moved by the Holy Spirit, so led of the Lord that they went to the next place God had for them. And it may be, in fact, that God allowed that persecution to happen in their lives. It may be that he allowed that to happen because, as we know, there are trials that come in our lives, and sometimes those trials are there, allowed by God to move us on to things, to propel us, to motivate us, to seek something, to see that open door that he's moving us towards. God works. He works all things together for the good of those who love him. And he works in our lives, and here... I have no doubt that some of the persecution that came against them propelled them to that next town, that the word could continue to go forth. And here they are entering again into the synagogue, and it says that they so spoke, indicating that they continued to teach the word, and a multitude of both Jew and Gentile believed. Now this is foundational, that the word of the Lord would be taught. And there's many, as I already mentioned this morning, there are many churches today that are teaching the Word, many that emphasize expository teaching, and we praise God for that. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and this is the primary function of the church, to teach the Word, to equip the believer. And so as we consider what it is that that we're doing and why we're here, of course that may sound obvious, and if it is, then good. That should be obvious, because sadly today it's not that obvious in a number of other churches. Where we are here to teach the word, that's foundational. And through the teaching of the word comes the equipping of the believers. This is the primary function of the church. And we can never, and we will never, depart from this. It's who we are. And when the word is taught, lives are changed. But inevitably there were those, and there's some still today, but there were those at this time that were opposed and they stirred up others against Paul. Paul and Barnabas. And we don't see Paul and Barnabas split and leave town at this point. Though there's some being stirred up against them and they're breathing threats against them, they don't leave. They said, no, there's still opportunity to minister here. We're not going to let this discourage us. We're not going to let them drive us out. We saw last week, and we've talked about this regularly in our study of Revelation, how the enemy seeks to disrupt the plan of God. And you can generally be quite confident that when the Lord is at work, there will be some attacks of the enemy that come against you. It's usually a good indication that you're doing something right. I talked with Jack Hibbs, and I may have mentioned this to some of you before, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills in California. Jack is incredibly involved in what I would say, for lack of a better term, the political scene out there. He's not running for office, and that's not, even when we say the political scene, we just kind of, oh, I don't like that. He's involved the way a pastor should be. He advocates. He gets involved. He's not going to go quietly into the night. He's worked for a long time with Family Research Council, and we had seen him, and it was several years back, but they were going through a big battle again in the city there, and Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, was right there in the midst of it. They were at you know, community gatherings and conversations, and when the town council was meeting, I mean, they were there to make sure their voice was heard, and, and we said, man, you're really going through it out there, aren't you? And it was just a big smile on his face. He said, oh yeah, we're doing something right. You know, he was just so excited by what God was doing and how he was using them and the victory that they saw in that. And so it can often be the case that when there's an attack coming against you, don't be surprised that it's not at the same time in which God is doing something really powerful in your life. And the enemy seeks to disrupt that plan. And so that's when we need to have even more resolve, to look to the Lord even more to bring us through those times, those challenging times, knowing that he wants to do a work. And so Paul and Barnabas, they could have left when the heat got turned up, but they, they didn't. 
The word says they stayed for a long time, as a matter of fact. It doesn't just say they, they, they taught for a few more days. It says they stayed for a long while. Why? Because they wanted to make disciples of Christ. They wanted to grow these believers up. They wouldn't stay there for an incredibly long period of time, but long enough to make sure that the seed that they were sowing took root, to walk alongside them, to disciple them. They were about making disciples of Christ, and they wanted to ensure that their converts there could survive the attacks of the enemy. And this is why we seek to teach the Word verse by verse, why we have a midweek study, why we have a Sunday morning study the way that we do, why we have men's and and women's group and in youth group and, and different options for discipleship. And we've got to do more. We've got to do a whole lot more. And I know that there's some of you that have ideas and vision for how to do that. And I want to encourage you today to make that known. The way in which the Lord is putting things on your heart, make that known. We've had others recently, and I won't put a spotlight on them, but they came and they said, I've got an idea. I've got a vision. I want to take this. I want to run with it. Some related to prayer, some related to community involvement, some related to discipleship and ministry to youth. And I want to encourage you as the Lord puts that vision on your heart to take hold of it, to seek after it. And we can pray with you and see how the Lord may be opening doors here at Calvary Chapel for you to be a part of that ministry and planting that. Because we want to disciple people. We want to grow them in their faith. We want to ensure that people have understanding of the Word of God. And so Paul and Barnabas, they stayed there a long time and they spoke boldly. And the Lord gave them opportunity for signs and for miracles. This was somewhat unique at this time. Not that there's not signs and miracles still today. In fact, we'll see a very key one here shortly. But God was doing this at this time in particular because they didn't have the Word of God. And as the Word was being spoken as the gospel was being shared, God gave certain individuals the ability to perform signs and miracles to testify to his grace, his message of grace. This idea of grace, blessing, favor that we don't deserve, that as these things would happen, it would testify to that message that was going forth. It would help people to understand and to see that what they were speaking was true. And so there was awesome things happening here in this city. And in verse 4, it says, but the multitude of the city was divided part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. So eventually the persecution grew to the extent that there were threats against their lives, very real threats. And, you know, sometimes the Lord calls you to go right back in. And sometimes he says, hey, go ahead and move on. And we'll see both happen here. This particular time they said, okay, it's time to go. It's time to move on to the next city. They were spirit-led. They were seeking the Lord. And here these threats come against them. They say, you know what? It's time for us to move on. They had stayed there for a while already. And they moved on. And in verse 8, we read it. In Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. And so now they've come into this area in Lystra. And one of the three journeys that Paul would make to this particular area, we'll hear him come back there again throughout the latter part of Acts. And they're preaching the gospel. However, the word here for speak in this verse tells us Paul was having a conversation. So at this particular point, he wasn't actually preaching the gospel per se. In fact, there was no synagogue there. And so there was not an opportunity for him to share the word quite the way that he had thus far. And so he was taking a different approach. Now, we don't know if this approach was simply by just sort of witnessing to people along the street or if this was simply just conversation. 
that he was having. Nevertheless, his conversation, whatever it was, was overheard. It was overheard by this man who was lame, who could hear, and he was impacted by it. And there's an important thing for us to recognize right here is that, Christian, you never know when somebody may be listening to the conversation that you're having. You know, some of you talk about how afraid you may be to go and share the gospel, to stop somebody along the street and say, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? And I'm going to tell you as a pastor that that can be a very terrifying thing to do. And so if you're fearful of that, don't worry, you're normal. That's not the way in which we typically walk around doing things. It's just to stop people and say, can I tell you about Jesus? Or just stand on a street corner and hold up a sign. Those are unique ways. But what you are doing each and every day is you're talking. You're interacting. You're engaging in dialogue. How does your speech sound? Is it seasoned with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because people will listen. And I know that many of you have had the same sort of encounters that I have where somebody, even sometimes a random stranger comes up and says, hey, can I ask you a question? I overheard you talking over there. And sometimes it's just, you seem different. <laughs> and I think, well, is that a, is that a compliment? <laughs> I may be a little different. What would it, you know? And it starts to open up the door for them to say, no, there was something different about the way you interacted with that person. You know, you never know what people are going to be listening to. And so I want to encourage you, and this will come up again here as we go through the word, that listen, you may not feel incredibly courageous when it comes to sharing the gospel, but make no mistake about it, your life shares it. Conversations that you have with people communicates it. Allow God to work in those situations. Be so surrendered to him that even when you don't know that you're doing it, you're doing it. And lives as a result can be impacted. Doors can be opened. And so here he heard it, and he recognized that this man because of what he heard, had produced faith within him. This man had been lame from birth. There was no muscle. There was no nerve. There was no injury here that had been there for a while that could be corrected. This man hadn't even learned how to walk. He was lame from birth. This would have been something that was incredibly foreign to him. But Paul sees this man, and he's led of the Spirit, and he commands him to stand up straight on his feet. There's a couple of things that are happening here. You see, this man had been given a word of faith and Paul the discernment to speak it. Both of them were involved in this situation. The man had the responsibility, however, to believe it, to believe the word of faith that was spoken to him. Paul had to have the connection with the Holy Spirit to know and to discern that this man who he wasn't even interacting with, that he said, this man has faith enough to make him well. I can see it. I I know what the Spirit is telling me to engage with this man. Sadly, there's times, however, when some do not believe the word of faith that is spoken to them. They don't see God move in the way in which he desires to move in their lives. But then there are also times when no word of faith is spoken. And that's important to understand as well. To know here as we see this that God can heal in miraculous ways. He absolutely can. And God does heal in miraculous ways. And he still heals today. There are, however, times when he does not. There are, however, times when we don't see that healing come. And we don't see it happen in the way that we would have anticipated. Or a word of faith is not spoken into the life of a believer. Or someone doesn't have the discernment or even the discernment that's given. You know, you can look this up, Pastor Chuck, at one point, and this was a while back, It was at a conference, and there was two men sitting right at the front in wheelchairs. Two men side by side. 
And Pastor Chuck, when he got done with the message, he came down and he approached these two men, one of which he looked at him and he said, stand up. And the man stood. Now, this sounds like the things that, you know, we hear about and we think, my goodness, you know, these are the miracles we look for that are still happening today. And the man stood. And it was a miraculous thing. And of course, if you know anything about Pastor Chuck, you know that he wouldn't and didn't make any big deal about that at all, that it was just something that the Lord called him to do. You know, of course, there was an amazing response to that. And afterwards, somebody said to him, what about the other guy? And Pastor Chuck said, the Lord didn't tell me to do anything with the other guy. And he said, it would have been foolish to me to attempt to manufacture something that wasn't there, a way in which the Lord didn't speak to me about that man. Now, I wasn't there for that, but I know pastors that were, and they talk about it still today. It was an example to them. It was something that they needed to hear. It was something that both grew their faith, but also gave them understanding. And here this man had been given a word of faith, and Paul knew it, and the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, tell this man to stand. But what we must recognize is though God can heal in miraculous ways, that sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't, and it's not always a matter of faith. If it were, we would see this consistently happen. Individuals who have all the faith in the world who want to be healed, but God doesn't move in that way. And we're left with asking why. And that's a question that we can't answer in this life. But nevertheless, it's there. And we see that there's different situations throughout Scripture, and that's the way in which we interpret it as we take the entirety of Scripture and we look at the different situations and examples, and that's what we learn from, and that's how we apply it. And we know and we trust that God can and does heal, and we know that it requires faith to do so. But there are times when all the faith in the world doesn't change the plan of God, or that it doesn't overcome the reality of the fallen world in which we live, and that ultimately it's faith that allows us to believe in the promises that will be manifest in God's time where one day we'll see the fullness of his promises. For in reality, despite what some want to tell us in this world, and some have written books about this very thing, our best life is not intended for now, but for an eternity in heaven with him. Amen? And so when the people saw this, though, and remember that God had given the ability for these signs and miracles to be worked so that they could testify to the grace of God. And so here the people saw this, and God moved in a mighty way, and it's a wonderful thing. And they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And so here we had a slight departure. All of a sudden, Paul's thinking, wait a second, not the intended result here. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. Now, there's quite a backstory here, one of which we don't have the time to go into, but essentially what's happening here is remember that this was a town, that there was no synagogue, there was no Jewish presence there, there was pagan idolatry, the Greek gods. And it was reported, there was a story, a legend, that Zeus and Hermes had visited the town before. Way back when they had visited the town. And a whole series of events had unfolded that then led them to believe that they were now back. Okay, that's the moral of the story. I won't go into all the details of it. It's a rather entertaining story. But here they thought that they had returned, that Zeus and Hermes were back. And see, here's the problem. We do this in our culture still today, that when something miraculous happens, we look to find a way to either one profit from it. And so here you've got the priest of the temple there who's like, oh, all right, I'm going to have the best turnout I've had in weeks. Come on in, everybody. Let's do this. 
Or other people find ways to kind of fit it into what we know or accept, the already culturally held beliefs, instead of looking and understanding that God is moving, that there's something that can change the way in which we believe and the things we believe in. And that's what Paul and Barnabas were wanting to happen here, of course. And they wanted to testify to the Word of God. But here they begin to treat Paul and Barnabas as if their gods come down and they're preparing to make sacrifice in the temple to them and to worship these idols, Paul and Barnabas. Now, you can look at this and you can see their disappointment in terms of their efforts to proclaim the Word of God and what they had done there. But at the same time, having just come from a city where they were threatened to be stoned to death, that maybe the idea of being treated like a god wasn't a bad idea for a couple of days. You know, you could rest up, get a nap. We could easily look at this and say, hey, you know, they're going to treat me real special for a while. You know, we deserve this. Of course, that's not anything at all like what these men did because they were surrendered to the Spirit. And so it says in verse 14, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and they ran in among the multitude crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. So here they were continuing to try and proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. They had to take a little bit of a different approach. You've not seen Paul use this language before, really, because in times past, he was able to use elements of the Jewish history. But here he's trying to appeal to them in terms of what they see and they know in creation. Nevertheless, they're trying to turn their hearts from the wicked ways, from idol worship to the one true God. We read in 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but my manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. What they're saying here, and what Paul and Barnabas recognize, is we have a responsibility to speak truth. Yeah, they may want to worship us. They may have totally missed the point of what that healing was all about, but we're going to proclaim the truth to them. We're going to be true to what God has called us to here. Consider Moses, who we read about, of course, throughout the Old Testament, but particularly in Hebrews 11, who it says considered Christ greater than the riches of this world. Another one who could have been treated as a god. You know, it's believed that Moses was actually the one, because of his victories in battle and everything else, who would rightfully take the throne of of Pharaoh. Do you know what Moses walked away from? Do you know what Moses gave up? And why? Why did he give it up? But that he recognized that he was a covenant child of God, that God had a purpose for him, and he identified with the people of God. And he walked away from what many of us, myself included, would likely say, oh, it's too hard to give up. Let me figure out a way to keep it. And he said, no. They ran in. They tore their clothes. They were so frustrated. This is an act that we see of the priests when they're frustrated and grieved that they tear their clothes and they go in and they say, no, and they cry out. There was a sense of urgency on their parts to boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel to these lost individuals. You see, there was a passion to ensure that they knew the truth. And that's what we need to see here and we need to evaluate in our own lives is do we have that same passion to ensure that other people know the truth? That if we see people walking, erring in their ways, that we see people you know, wandering down a path that leads to destruction, do we have a sense in our own hearts of we've got to get a hold of them? 
And we seek the Lord for how to intervene for that open door, for that opportunity to proclaim truth to them. And then Jews from Antioch in verse 19 and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. Paul's an amazing guy. So here, you know, how quickly a crowd can turn, right? There would have been a lot fewer Gamecock fans yesterday. You know, one field goal kept a whole lot of people cheering for their team, right? How quickly a crowd can turn. And they did here. The Jews came in and they convinced them that these men were not, were not what they claimed to be. And they stone him. And they suppose him to be dead. That's how bad it was here for Paul, that they drag him out of the city. And this is often the response to truth, is it not? Truth spoken into the heart of man and we don't want to hear it. But it doesn't change the truth. They stone Paul here to silence the word that was spoken. And perhaps Paul remembered the stoning of Stephen during this time. And presumed dead, they drag him out of the city. And many think that Paul did die at this point. We hear him talk later on about an experience out of his own body. He says, quite frankly, that he doesn't know exactly what happened to him during this time, but it was a surreal experience for him. And in either case, whatever happened, whether he was brought back to life or just miraculously recovered, you know, in a short period of time, such that he could rise up and have his wits about him, it says that he rose up and then he went on vacation, took a sabbatical. No. And you know what? I mean, truth be told, we'd support that, right? Wouldn't we? Somebody goes through a difficult time, and that wouldn't be wrong. We've got to show each other grace and mercy. But we see here such an example from Paul. You no, know, he gets up and he goes right back in. Remember Jesus? The, the call to go to Lazarus? Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you there, and you, you want to return again? No doubt you know, Paul was mindful of that, and, and just knowing what he was called to, no fear, understood that he still had work to do. There were disciples to be made. Guys, I look at this one as a pastor and it resonates. I had the opportunity this week to spend some time with some other pastors. It was just an incredibly encouraging time. And part of the topic of discussion was this quote, preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. Flies in the face of much of what we say in the world today, right? In terms of what's your legacy. And, And don't get me wrong, those are important questions to ask. I mean, I think it's a good evaluation to think of hey, you know, when I die, what will be left behind? And have I made an impact? And have I done the things that I need to do? But that question can often be misplaced. This idea that as a pastor, and quite frankly, anybody who's in ministry, that this was our prayer for each other, the reminder that what are you called to? What are you called to? Preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. Are you okay with that? If you can get to the place where you're content with that, contentment with dependence, a willingness to be entirely obscure, to be totally ordinary in the eyes of the world, if you can get to that place, then I think you can know and truly understand your calling and serve the Lord with a pure heart. And I want to confess to you that there's plenty of times that I struggle with that. It's a constant reminder, a constant prayer. We've got to seek that out. And and it was many pastors as we prayed for each other that that would be our lives, that we would realize that, that it would be our aim simply to get the word into the hearts of unbelievers. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, you see, he goes back and it says that they made many disciples. And you know one of the disciples that they likely made who was there in that town and who probably was so impacted by seeing this man be stoned nearly unto death, dragged out of the city, and then he comes back? Timothy. Timothy was there. It's later on that he goes back into the city and he gets Timothy. What an incredible relationship that's fostered there. And so they 
They made many disciples and they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. You see, the enemy cannot disrupt the plan of God, especially in the life of the spirit-led surrendered believer. The enemy seeks to continuously disrupt the plan of God, but especially to those who are so surrendered, so led of the Lord, God will work. And they returned, they made many disciples, and they strengthened the souls of the disciples. You see, that was the other part there, that they strengthened them. And it's a reminder to us again that our primary focus should be, one, making disciples of Christ. Right? It should be our aim at all cost, preaching the gospel. But as I've said before or earlier, you know, there's some of you are going to say, ah, man, I just can't, I can't preach the gospel. Or maybe you don't feel called to teach. Not everybody is. Maybe you're fearful of, of just sharing the gospel, of, of witnessing. Again, I would say that that's normal. And don't put yourself so within a box you know, a particular framework that it needs to be shared in this particular way, but rather trust that God uses you in a multitude of different ways. We've got the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you know what? There's a gospel for each and every one of you that's unfolding, and that's your life and how you're living it. It's the same truth. It's the same Jesus. Don't misunderstand, but it's the way in which God is working in your life that's proclaiming that truth. And know that you're doing that. But of course, you know, there's other ways. We've had this emphasis on telling your story, and that's what it's about. The idea of, of having people share their story is twofold. Yes, there should be something that's accomplished there in terms of the body of believers getting to know one another better. But it's more important that people share what it is that the Lord has done in their lives such that others can hear it, that it can aid in sharing the gospel, it can aid in you telling what it is that God has done in your life and that opening up doors to minister to other people. But beyond making disciples, we need to strengthen disciples. And this is the second key reason of why we're here, is to strengthen disciples of Christ. And you know how we're strengthened? Through the Word, through fellowship, through exhortation, and teaching the Word. Some of you have told me at times that my teaching has challenged you. And in some cases, it wasn't even necessarily like, oh, hey, that was great. It challenged me. It was like, oh, you came at me with that. You know, it's sort of a discussion of whether, like, are you okay with that? Is that all right? You know, but what a failure on my part if that wasn't the case. A.W. Tozer says this, What has the church gained if it is popular and there is no conviction, no repentance, no power? What's the point? There's plenty of social clubs out there. God forbid the church be another. The word goes on to say, as Paul and Barnabas encouraged and strengthened the believers, that through many tribulations we will enter the kingdom. And so that's the other thing that we have to understand here. This isn't a, or shouldn't be rather, a discouraging message, but rather the understanding that the word does not promise a life free from suffering, but rather we are told to expect it. And you know what the beautiful thing about suffering is when we go into those times of suffering, when it takes you into that valley of suffering, is more often than not, then that's where you meet Jesus. That's where you have an encounter with Jesus, where you come to find that true dependence on Him. And that's what we should all desire in our lives, is to be truly dependent on Him. Because when you are, the joy of the Lord will become your strength. It doesn't say that you're going to be depressed and, and worn out and frustrated and discouraged. None of those things come from the Lord. And so if you hear that, you know, as a discouraging message, it shouldn't be. Rather, that we should expect the suffering to come in our lives, but know that God's going to be there with us. He says, take my yoke upon you. You know, that's him communicating to us that I want to do the work. 
You're going to come alongside me. I'm going to pull this thing with you. I'm going to haul this load with you. I'm going to take it off your shoulders. Put it on my own. And so we must here strengthen one another in the word. But part of that is to prepare one another for the challenges that come. And as we get to the end of the chapter here, it's important to see here that it's not the only element of what we should see in the church today. He goes on in verse 23 and says, So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. You see, Paul and Barnabas also sought to establish structure and order in the church. Everywhere they went, they worked to establish a church, something that would remain after they left to leave behind something that would continue to appoint elders, leaders over those churches. We'll be installing an elder here today, here shortly. And as we look to recognize the work the Lord is doing here, we'd ask that He would bless it and continue to raise others up who can be a part of this work, recognizing that it's not about me and it's not about Pastor Bobby, but it's about each and every one of us functioning in the role that God has called us to, being a family, a community of believers. Knowing that if we want to see this church thrive, then it will require a multitude of people who are committed, involved in leading. Nevertheless, as they did here, we commend it to the Lord, knowing that it's Him who works. It's He who works. And when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. And you know, finally here we see, I believe, an element of fellowship. And that's the other part we should see within the family. Making disciples of Christ, strengthening disciples of Christ, establishing order and structure within the church, but also just being together. You know, it's my desire certainly that for the church to grow. If you asked me if I didn't want the church to grow, and I said, "Yeah, I'm, you know, I don't really want that," or don't, you could say, "Liar!" Why wouldn't I want that? But I do, and I pray that it would always be my heart that I want the church to be strengthened more than to grow in number to be a strong church, to be a true church, to be a biblical church, for there to be healthy believers, and that we would be of like mind, one accord, pursuing the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.